This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. It is legislation designed to ensure that Ontario is better prepared in the event of a resurgence of COVID-19 or an altogether different pandemic in the future. A week ago Thursday, the Ford PCs at Queen's Park passed the Pandemic and Emergency Preparedness Act, which they call a critical component of Ontario's plan to stay open. This act deals primarily with healthcare workers, boosting pay permanently for PSWs and DSWs, and promising to attract more PSWs, nurses, and doctors, in part by training more physicians and making it easier for foreign-trained health workers to begin practicing in Ontario. While filling in for Libby this past week, I was joined by our Monday Zoomer squad to discuss this and other issues important to the older demographic. Peter Mugrich is senior editor at Zoomer magazine. David Kravitz is chief membership officer at CARP and vice president at Zoomer Media. And Bill Van Gorder is chief operating and chief policy officer at CARP, a new vision of aging. It's interesting uh, to see these uh, items come up now, re- just re- uh, reasserting what they had already uh, promised. You have to wonder whether uh, a $3 an hour uh, wage increase is, is really going to keep uh, staff uh, with all the other issues that staff were, uh, were feeling and uh, the uh, efforts to uh, in- involve or to attract more staff are pretty light when it comes to the explanation of exactly how they're going to do it. So uh, it looks good on the surface. Uh, Time will tell whether it'll really have the effect they're talking about and making Ontario uh, a place that will stay open. David, Bill's observations were exactly what I thought. This this sounds great. It's a it's a wonderful plan, but there's not a real how-to element in all of it. Well, there is a little bit. Um, behind the lead item, um, when they talk about uh, protective equipment and uh, some of those other things, and I'm, I am uh, encouraged that they're paying some attention to nuts and bolts management. You know, when we had the Morocco Commission last year when CARP was petitioning to get the uh, Minister of Long-Term Care fired, which they finally did do, but you might remember they had that Royal Commission on what went wrong in the nursing homes. And there was so much testimony, not just from the long-term care people, from the healthcare people, Christine Elliott and her deputy, about, gee, we didn't realize we were destroying the expired personal care, personal uh, infection prevention equipment. I thought that was your department. I thought that was your department. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes mismanagement of non-ideological stuff, just routine management blocking and tackling that was, like, totally dysfunctional and messed up. And they do seem to be attacking some of those less spectacular but very important points in here uh, doesn't get the headlines, uh, isn't going to uh, be as dramatic. But I'm pleased that 
they seem to be paying a little bit of attention to how the thing actually works and maybe trying to make that a little better, a little better. At least. So it feels to you as if issues around PPE could be resolved as a, as a result of this act. Yeah, they're paying attention to it, yeah. which they didn't have a clue about it before. No, exactly. Peter, what about you, your thoughts? Um, like Some of the language about, uh, you know, hiring more nurses, uh, you know, paying their tuition if they work in underserved areas, um, you know, reducing the... Um, the credential barriers that foreign workers face when they come here, you know, training more doctors, even like that, that's something Ontario hasn't done. They haven't increased the number of, uh, you know, physician uh, medical school seats for a long time. So, so a lot of these things are good. I, I, I think that a lot of them are, are pointing in the, in the right direction. Um, we'll, we'll just have to see whether, the, whether they work and if they don't work, whether the government follows up and, and, try something else. Bill, uh, we know uh, there's been a real push by Premier Ford to bring in more immigrants and uh, certainly to use the the skill sets that these immigrants have so they don't get mired up in bureaucracy and are able to practice their professions. I I think that that is a a very positive step forward. Well, it is is a positive step if we're able to keep them. Remember the the problem we've had with uh, employees, both those from out of the country and those uh, from inside our own province are that they haven't stayed in these these jobs. The job conditions beyond the uh, beyond the money uh, have not been uh, such that they have wanted to stay in those jobs. I would rather see more focus on why people are leaving those jobs, why they aren't staying and fixing those issues, than just bringing uh, more people. Remember, it's a lot easier to uh, keep workers than it is to find new ones to come in to fill the spaces of those who leave. Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating and Chief Policy Officer at CARP, Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine, and David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Zoomers love to travel, but after two years of COVID and with the pandemic still very much a thing, traveling now is much different than traveling before this global crisis began. So much of what we need to heed before even booking the trip and then going to the airport is about COVID vaccination and masking. Joining me to talk about traveling safely in the age of Omicron, the mayor of Niagara Falls, Ontario, Jim Diodati, Richard Vanderlube with the Association of Canadian Travel Agencies and president of TripCentral.ca, and Martin Firestone, president of Travel Secure, Inc. It's booming. There are tremendous interest from people. Once restrictions were removed, we only have one left, but once those initial restrictions were removed and no requirement to come back into Canada with a negative test, things absolutely blew up and people began to travel again. So really on that note alone, it's incredibly positive. We have to be very uh, feel good about it at this point. Yeah, I love the tone of your voice. I love the excitement. Uh, Richard, what are your thoughts on the state of travel now? Yeah, certainly our business and travel agencies in general were, um, you know, swamped with requests, particularly, you know, heading south. I think for the entree into the market, um, all-inclusive vacations, sun vacations, going to Florida vacation homes, 
uh, things that, you know, you could spend time outdoors, uh, very, very popular. And obviously with the timing of the winter uh, coming to an end, it, it created a real peak of demand where we would normally have a lot of people already booked. They all came out of the woodwork starting really back, let's say, end of January, Feb 15th, when the advisory was lifted, when the testing was changed, and when the testing was removed, each time there was a step up in demand. Of course, now with the winter, you know, tailing off, we're seeing things decline a little bit. It's seasonally normal, and, you know, a shift into uh, into fall and, and winter of next year. And I think, the you know, the summer is a little more uncertain with Europe and um and what have you. But I think short trips in the U.S. and Canada are, are, are peaking as well. Okay, on that note, let's go over to Mayor Jim Diodati in Niagara Falls. Are you seeing, Jim, more people coming across the border now that they don't have to present that negative COVID test? Well, you know, Jane, we are, but it's not. Uh, I think we've taken steps in the right direction. We need to take a further step. The big challenge right now is the Arrive Can app requirement at the border. I've received significant amount of calls from people, a lot of them seniors and Canadians, who are very frustrated because you have to have some digital technology at your fingertips. And some of these people don't have cell phones. Maybe they have flip phones. And and I've had one gentleman in particular, he was so frustrated. He's a, a snowbird traveler. And he said to me, you know, I can prove I'm Canadian. I can prove I'm fully vaccinated with my booster. Why are they forcing me to do this extra digital step that goes outside of my realm of ability? Very, very frustrated. And, and it, you know, I was speaking with the minister last week, and we're going to have a follow-up call this week. I said, if it doesn't help to keep us safer, why are we doing it? It just puts red tape in the way, and it slows down the free flow across the border. And what I'm seeing right now, Jane, more Canadians going to the U.S., not as many Americans coming to Canada, because a lot of Americans will simply bypass Canada this year and go to other destinations, whereas Canadians, we're anxious. We want to go across the river, as we call it, to do our shopping, do our visiting. So that Arrive Can app right now is a big encumbrance for the, the tourism back and forth. And especially imagine you're an American, you're coming for a day trip, and part of the Arrive Can app process, you have to give a Canadian address of part of your plan for isolation. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're a day tripper, you don't have an address. If you're staying overnight, you'll have a hotel address. So a lot of Americans are very frustrated saying, I'm not coming back again until you guys smarten up with this craziness because they know it doesn't help us to become any safer. It's just another layer of bureaucracy. And as a matter of fact, I saw there's more money in the budget to have more of this program. So it's not helpful for tourism. And I can tell you, Niagara Falls, we're the number one leisure destination in the country. We get 14 million people here every year. 40,000 people count on tourism to feed their families. We need that border to work. We've had two devastating seasons, and the Americans represent 50% of the revenue into Niagara Falls. So it's important. It matters, and we need to have these discussions. Niagara Falls Mayor Jim Diodati, Richard Vanderloob with the Association of Canadian Travel Agencies and President of TripCentral.ca, and Martin Firestone, President of Travel Secure, Inc. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, did you get your license sticker rebate in the mail yet? And does it incentivize you to vote for Doug Ford? We will discuss next. 
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. What is Doug Ford's strategy with fewer than six weeks to go until the provincial election? On Tuesday, I commented to Fight Back strategy panel that the premier had gone quiet since before the long Easter weekend. As COVID-related hospitalizations continued to trend upward and with more than 200 patients with COVID in hospital intensive care units, the highest number in over a month. Charles Souza is a former Liberal Ontario Minister of Finance. John Capobianco is a conservative strategist, a vice president and senior partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road. And Karen Stintz is CEO of Variety Village. I asked them, what is the best strategy for Doug Ford in addressing bad news? It was pretty well communicated, I think by the top doctor uh, when the restrictions were lifted, that there would be an increase in in COVID-related cases, but that the hospital system would be able to manage. You know, I think in this case, there's really nothing more to say. He can confirm what he's already said. He can, can, you know, again, acknowledge that, yes, COVID-related cases are going up, um, remind people to get their booster shots and take precautions. But really, there's no more news here. If it gets to the point that the hospitals can't cope, well, then then there's something that needs to be done, of course. But at this stage, I, I think that it's just really trending the way People expected it to trend. John, over to you. You know, a lot of people have said uh, in terms of the premier's disposition, he can be very reassuring for people. And he has been at certain points during the pandemic. And I think that's one of his strengths when he when he goes off script and he's just honest and sincere with people. Uh, do you think that that's something that's missing right now because of too much attention to how he should be perceived leading up to the election? Well, I think, Jane, it's one of those things that a politician never really wins on this issue. It's either you're, you're too much exposed and people are complaining that you're on TV for, for, you know, for almost every announcement, be it, you know, important or not important and get criticized for that. And if you're not on and you let your ministers do all the announcements, then everybody says, well, you're not on the TV enough and where are you hiding kind of thing. But I think Karen's right on this. I think, you know, he has always been, um, in fact, has had daily conferences at times when it was a crisis, when, when Ontarians needed to hear from the premier and from the leader, when it was good news or bad news or what have you. Uh, you know, they had the top doctor, Kieran Moore, sort of say just last week, you know, and give a bit of an update and a, pro- a prognostication of what's going to be happening and what's what's just sort of taking place. They've had Peter Juni from the Ontario, Ontario Table on on a regular basis. So you've had a lot of the health people out there talking about it. And I don't know if the premier needed to say anything from that perspective. So, you know, it's always strategic as to when you want to put a leader, be it a prime minister or a premier, or even a mayor out uh, at some point. So I, I think it's fine. I, I, I think that, you know, you're going to see a lot of them in the election campaign for sure. Charles, what about you? How has the premier been performing? Because, you know, in effect, it is a performance and there is a lot of strategy involved in his announcements and what he says to reporters following those announcements. Yeah, absolutely. And COVID is not the narrative he wants to play right now. I mean, at the start of the pandemic, there were mess ups and he messed up a lot be it with the schools, the masks, the vacations, and then other things. And he was sort of late, and then he turned himself around. He begged forgiveness. People gave him a second chance. He started you know, going up in the polls again as a result of his fight with COVID and being there with the scientists and so forth. At this point, though, he wants to show that things are okay and things are steady, and the, the negative news that's out there isn't going to help him. And if he's going to be out there defending it, to John's point, 
he'll be um, he'll it won't he won't be a win. It won't win for him. And he, he may come across as assuring because he has that folksy appeal about him. But at this point in time, he has to now defend his record. And the questions before him are much more than just COVID. It's a whole slew of things that have happened over the past four years or have not happened. A lot of announcements at the tail end now. As a result, many of them are liberal-like announcements, frankly. And so these are the kind of things you'll have to respond to. So I can, I can appreciate why he doesn't want to come out at this point because of the COVID issue, because it's a, not, it's a no-win for him. And to John's point, one of the problems that Kathleen Wynne had in her previous uh, term was that she was out there way too much, okay. and people got tired. And um, and I think that the, the, for the people who voted NDP because they don't like Doug Ford, you know, maybe they're going to vote NDP again or vote Liberal. I don't think that Doug has endeared himself uh, to those who are predisposed to dislike him to, to change the way they're going to vote. Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, Charles Souza, former Liberal Ontario finance minister, and John Capobianco, conservative strategist, vice president, and senior partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Earlier this year, the governing Ford PCs scrapped license plate stickers that formerly cost $120 for drivers in southern Ontario and $60 in northern Ontario every year. And they provided rebates to vehicle owners who made these payments during the pandemic. In fact, you've likely received yours in the mail. But you still need to renew your license plate, even though there's no fee and no sticker. To help us through the process, we were joined on Tuesday by Elliot Silverstein, Director of Government Relations at CAA Insurance. The most important thing right now is is really reinforcing to people that even if you're not paying, you still have to make sure you renew and renew by the deadlines. Okay, so renewing by the deadline is always your birthday, right? Correct. But we won't be getting any reminders, that's my understanding. Yeah, I believe you can now set up for different types of alerts uh, through the government, and you can still renew for, for one or two years. But it's really important because, um, again, you know, the, the impact of not renewing can have other effects because, again, when you renew, you need to provide your, your plate information, your vehicle info, your odometers, um, also your, your, your proof of insurance. And, and, and again, it goes both ways because if you're not uh, compliant, you, you could be charged uh, a penalty for not renewing. But it's also important to make sure that we have uh, vehicles that, that, have, that have proper insurance as well. So all these license plates that are out there on the back of vehicles currently have the little sticker in the corner. And like mine says July 22. Um, should we be removing those from the license plates? Does it matter? Do, do police run your license plate through some sort of system and they see whether you've renewed or not? How is all of that going to work? Well, the government, when they announced the changes uh, a couple of months ago, they had mentioned they were moving towards automated license plate recognition technology. And, that, and that's really going to allow uh, law enforcement to, to really uh, have the tools to, to, um, to see what is valid and what is invalid. So, I mean, it, it, there's never been a direction about having to remove the stickers or keep them on. Um, but, but I think, you know, what, what is nice is that the, the law enforcement will have um, uh, greater access to, to recognition tools 
in order to um, to make sure that that people who are are not driving legally are are, are you know can be pulled over if necessary. Now, how does the license plate renewal now that there is no fee? How does that work in tandem with your auto insurance? So we always had to provide our auto insurance policy number in order to renew our license. Is that still how that will work? You're still going to need to provide the, the, the same information on the Ontario.ca website because you're going to have to provide all the, the details in terms of your odometers, um, your company name, your policy number um, in order to move things forward. So if you don't have proof of insurance, you're not going to be able to complete the transaction even though there's no cost. Okay. And you can renew for two years at a time rather than just one, right? You, you have that option. You could do one or two years. Myself, I've always figured, you know, you know, take the two years because at least it's out of the way and, it, and it's one less thing to do each year. Right. Um, oh yeah. Why, why at this point where you don't have to pay anymore, why would you do just one year at a time? It, it's a great question. I think, you know, for some people, they may want to, to look at certain things or they may be, you know, you know, getting vehicles on certain terms. But, uh, uh, you know, for myself, you know, it, it's always great to, you know, even with the renewals, when there was a cost, pay the money and, and think about it again in two years time. And just one more question of you, Elliot, if people have not received their rebate for their license sticker fees that they've paid back to March of 2020, is there something they should be doing to ensure they do get that check? I think they're still being released right now. I'll, I'll admit I got mine last Thursday. So, yeah. so it, it, they're still, they're still being rolled out. I, I would say give it a little bit more time. I know they said that it was happening in March and into April. And, and if, if you haven't received it probably towards the end of the month, it may be worth a, an inquiry into the Service Ontario hotline to see uh, where things stand. Elliot Silverstein, Director of Government Relations at CAA Insurance. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Doug in Scarborough phoned to say he will be voting liberal in the coming Ontario election. Uh, I won't be voting for Doug Ford because Doug Ford does nothing for people on Ontario disabilities. He's never helped us at all. Neither did Mike Harris. He gives himself a 43.0 increase raise for himself. He tells us people to go and get a job. He's not for poor people. He's only for the rich people. And he doesn't help people on disabilities or welfare. Betty in Niagara called about challenges she's faced in working with the Arrive Can app. I was just coming back from visiting my daughter in Chicago. I have tried for almost three years to put a Rive can on my phone, and I had someone in the, um, the Washington airport in 2020 uh, try to put it on for me. I had someone in the airport in 2021 in Canada try to put it on. I can't do it. I've tried. I'm 70 years old. I've tried. I've had people help me. I still can't get it on. I still don't have it on. So I came back on Wednesday of this past week from Chicago, and the man at the border, the agent, the custom agent at the border, he he was just rude. He was mean. He told me that I was going to give up my nexus. He was going to find me. 
I didn't have it. I was against the government. I wasn't following the rules. It was horrible. Carol called from London about her recent travel experience. I just returned from my first trip in 25 months, went to Europe, did a cruise. Um, There were absolutely no hesitations, no concerns. Protocols were high. Um, People were very, very compliant with all the rules. And the only issue I had was coming home with ArriveCan. And and so what was your issue with ArriveCan? It would not download, and uh, agents in the Barcelona and Amsterdam airport tried to help me. Flight crew tried to help. Nobody could get it done. And when I showed it to the young girl lady at the uh, health department at the Toronto airport, she just shook her head and said, I, I haven't even seen this problem before. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week is Pat in Toronto, who also phoned about Doug Ford's decision to rebate license plate sticker fees. And everybody looking right past the issue that all of the COVID, and by relaxing the rules as Doug Ford did, is costing all of us many, many millions of dollars. Every person in the hospital is probably costing us $10,000 to $20,000 for their, even if their four-day stay runs into those sort of numbers. So everybody seems to think that the money drops out of the sky, and it doesn't. And, and that's why we should be imposing all these things. And yes, I got back 610 or $620, and I thought, and does he think I am that dumb that I'm going to vote for him by getting that money? I'm going to go exactly the opposite way. I'm going to vote for the Green Party. Because okay. in, in 50 years, and I won't be here in 50 years, we won't have a country. We won't have a planet. That does it for today's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fightback voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fightback. The best of Fightback is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer... Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.